the means of grace. That's where God has ordained to, to come and meet you mm-hmm. in the preaching of his word, in the, in the seeing and hearing and touching and handling and tasting of the sacraments, his word made visible in the prayers of the saints that guys so beautifully portrayed. You're listening to that, that brother or that sister with their lisping, stammering tongues pouring out their heart and your heart is lifted up and enlarged and moved to pray and you leave strengthened. And when you individualize your Christian life, you undermine your own spiritual health. Hmm. These three books, if they would do anything, I pray that they would make us love the church. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick, before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. Today is a very exciting book club episode. We have three guests on today. So we have, we're going through the Blessings of the Faith series published by P&R Publishing. And so we have three of the authors on here today. On the book, Persistent Prayer, we have Guy Richard. On the book, Expository Preaching, we have David Strain. And on Covenantal Baptism, we have Jason Hawapolis. And we're going to be talking to them here in a minute. But just as a reminder to you guys, on our show notes, you'll find a link to PNR Publishing. Go on that link, find out how to get all three of these books within the Blessings of the Faith series. There's also a link to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a link that will take you to the group that we are a part of with other like-minded Reformed podcasts out there. There's also a link to find a Reformed church near you. So the most important thing is to find a church near you to call home and be a member of. If you hit that link and type in your zip code, you'll find the closest Reformed churches near you. So without further ado, I'll let Peter also further introduce yeah. our three guests. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could do better than that. You you nailed all the names. Oof. I would have for sure wow. messed up. <laughs> but yeah, and the, the one that I think people are, <clears throat> we were told before this, being candid, the one that people get the most often wrong is not the one that I think people think they get the most often wrong. It's actually, it's actually Dr. Richard that people get the most often wrong. Not Halopolis or Strain. It's people say Dr. Richard but it's actually Dr. Richard. That's correct. I get called Richard almost all the time. Back when there was such a thing as a house phone, a landline, uh, it was a sure way to be able to tell if someone knew who I was or, or didn't know who I was if they asked for Guy Richard. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> exactly. You're like, you, you don't know who I am. It's, uh, uh, like, There's no one here yeah. by that name. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this will be cool. We have, we have one professor and we've got two full-time pastors. So this would be a great kind of practical episode <clears throat> on these books and, and just the, the Christian life in general. So maybe just opening up just a broad 
question, just this series in general. So what, what kind of brought this series together? And then these, like these three specific topics in, in for, for, for this series versus anything else that we could have done within, within the reformed church. Well, Peter, Nick, we, we first just want to thank you for having us on. It's a uh, good yeah. to be with the two of you and with all of your listeners. Uh, what a delight to join you today. Um, you know, this series uh, was something that was dreamed up where a group of us had talked about this for a long time, uh, where we just we wanted good, solid kind of introductory books to reform theology, especially in the realm of the church ecclesiology yeah. um, that we could hand to our people. Um, and that would just simply explain, but uh, not too simply that we would bring out the theology and the biblical basis for why it is that we believe these things and practice these things. Um, and so we uh, put together this series. We're hoping there'll be at least 10 books. PNR hmm. plans on at least 10 yeah. books in the series. So these are the first three. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I thought they'd be a good first three, which is yeah. kind of highlighting yeah. the ordinary means of grace with preaching and prayer and yeah. one of the two sacraments in baptism. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah. I wasn't, I thought, I don't know if, if it's been announced. I just, I thought this is three volumes for some reason too. Well, we hope uh, we have a lot more. So there's, there's a couple that are already under contract that will be coming out. Um, the authors are working on them now and there are more proposals before PNR, but they, they have uh, agreed to at least 10. So nice. we'll even surpass that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's going to be a massive podcast. We'll have like, <laughs> we'll have like 12 of us on exactly. Oh boy, ow. That is true. It'd be like a Royal Rumble. Oh my yeah. gosh. I wonder, yeah. I wonder what the biggest, the most guests on a reform pot, whatever it is, we got to break it. It's, we got to have, we gotta have 10 people once. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. Everyone we'll gets see what one we can sentence. do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But just we're praying. Nobody has the same name on that, on that editing list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling like I'm in safe territory. We need to find an author called Richard Guy. (laughs) There is one, believe it or not. Apparently, there's a mathematician somewhere in the UK, because every time I search my name, he comes up. And I think he's Richard Guy. Really? That's funny. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Yeah, maybe. So kind of first first question within this, too, and I'll I'll go. So me being trained up in the to be a pastor. Um, hopefully, Lord willing. So I want to start with the expository preaching. So um, Pastor David, so what's, if you could give maybe a, a summary of why we in the Reformed Church put such an emphasis on the preached word of God versus maybe worship or the sacraments, why, why preaching? Um, well, first, first of all, thanks for, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, why preaching? Well, we emphasize preaching because God is a talking God. Uh, he has spoken to us and revealed himself in Holy Scripture. And we have no way to access uh, the gospel. We, we, have, we have no way to access who Jesus, why he came or what it means to follow him apart from Holy Scripture. And so a church that elects to do a host of other things, but does not devote itself to the reading and the exposition of scripture Mm -hmm. 
really neglects the welfare of its own soul. So just purely at a pragmatic level, if leaving aside theological and scriptural arguments, if, if the Bible is what the Bible says it is, which is the very word of God, then, then preaching or drama or whatever else a church might do that is not a church that's not centered on the exposition of the text of scripture is robbing itself mm. of the very source of our life and our spiritual health. Yeah. Now, add to that the simple fact that the Bible commands us uh, to preach his word. Yeah. And that the way we ordinarily, the way that a person comes to know Jesus, and we believe in the Reformed Church that the way God has primarily ordained that Christians would grow in their knowledge of Jesus is through the preaching of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think you have a watertight case for the centrality of the preaching of Scripture and the gospel from Scripture uh, at the heart of the church's life and worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this First, before I ask questions, I just want to thank you three, because this, as a layperson, that's not, you know, going through giant academic, huge volume books that could be a more intimidating and time-consuming. These are approachable. Um, they're easy to read, um, and they're practical. They're, these three topics, I think, are just uh, foundational, ones that you can hit the ground running. Um, and I, I'll be honest, as a layperson, I think the one that immediately struck me as being the most sense of urgency for um, my day-to-day life is probably prayer. I, um, obviously, I'm not a preacher. Um, but, uh, and I read this, uh, baptism is incredibly important, but prayer is something I do, or I try to do, uh, at least multiple times a day and, uh, live, live my Christian life through prayer. So I'll kind of focus my questions on that. Um, so with, uh, Dr. Richard, uh, what, what kind of drove you for this topic and what does scripture say about prayer? How should we as Christians know how to pray? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is prayer is one of those topics that we, I think most of us find very challenging and very, very convicting. We, we know we're not praying as often as we should. We feel that conviction. We know we don't pray with the, uh, the right eloquence and, and the right fervency. I think uh, we're all too aware of the times we've fallen asleep. You know, we pray in our beds and we wake up the next morning and we realize, oh, you know, I was praying in the middle of that. Or we, our minds wander when we pray or something along those lines. And so I think most Christians feel just an inherent conviction in regard to the topic of prayer. And so something that I was aiming to do in this book was to talk about prayer which really is the language of faith. It's, uh, it, it's an expression of, our, of intimacy with the God of the universe, uh, union and communion uh, with the God of the universe. Uh, and, and, and really, when I was trying to, to emphasize prayer, I was trying to emphasize it from the perspective of encouraging Christians in what is already a convicting topic and a challenging uh, part of the Christian life. And if I can encourage Christians to pray more and to give themselves more to prayer by reminding them of what prayer is and by reminding them of what prayer does, then, uh, then I'll feel like that uh, the book has really done something. And part of the way that came, part of the way that came, up, came to be in my own life 
was in my first call after I went right from seminary uh, to doing my PhD overseas at the University of Edinburgh and uh, came back to Gulfport, Mississippi and pastored First Presbyterian Church in Gulfport, Mississippi. I was there for 12 years. The church called me in May of 2005 and I was going to start October of 2005. Hurricane Katrina mm. came in August 29th and destroyed the church. We had about a third of the congregation, about 60 families lost everything. Oh uh, we lost the church. We had about 4 million in damage. And here I am, a not yet ordained, <laughs> a fairly recent seminary graduate. And there was no class as far as I could tell then. And, and as I know now, there is no class on how do you pastor a church in the midst of uh, a natural disaster of that kind of proportion yeah. or any natural disaster for that matter, but one that destroys the church building and a third of the congregation is gone as a result of it. Uh, so I, I was in over my head and I knew it. And, and the first thing I did is I called the elders together and I said, we need to pray and we need to fast and pray. And so we fasted in prayer and prayed and we called the congregation to join us in fasting and prayer. And, and that raised questions within the congregation. What is fasting and why should we, be, we shall, why should we fast? And what does fasting do and what doesn't it do? And how do we pray and what is prayer and how often should we pray and all of those kinds of things. And so I began answering some of those questions, not only in my own mind and life, but in the life of the congregation as well. And so and so in a real sense, the book is an overflow of those early years after Hurricane Katrina, hmm. trying to wrestle through prayer and uh, seek the Lord's help. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's some good. Yeah, that's it grounds your book much more than just kind of an academic study on prayer. It's, this yeah. is something you, you actually you did. You practiced with with your congregation after such a a, a massive calamity in that area. Well, you know, nothing speaks louder about humility than prayer, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is really the the groundwork, or we could say the foundation. I mean, when we think about Reformed theology, and believe in the sovereign God, then mm -hmm. we're a people of prayer. And this is the primary way, uh, surely, that we express that humility before a sovereign God is praying. I remember we had met Guy uh but I heard about Gulfport, and I'd gone to my church to help raise support right. huh. uh, for a guy. North Carolina. What amazed you? me. You were in North Yeah, Carolina. I was in North Carolina. Because huh. what amazed me is here's a guy graduating with a PhD. He hadn't shown up yet in the field. Hmm. A third of the congregation is going to be gone. And he could literally go about anywhere, and he was still going. And I hmm. thought, that's humility. Hmm. And so I remember going to my church there in North Carolina, and saying, oh, we need to support this guy. Uh, he doesn't have a salary now. And, <laughs> yeah. And, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, leading in humility. So it's a good yeah. thing. No, that's, and that's, that's good stuff. And I, I so I, I think when people think about Reformed theology or the, the Reformed church, they gen, I think, yeah, they generally don't think about prayer. They don't, they don't think about that kind of the top of the mind. That's something that we do as Christians. And I think Nick had a great point where that's maybe of all the books out right now, <clears throat> that's what, your average Christian probably most gravitates towards because they don't preach and they don't, they don't baptize. So it's something that they can say, Oh, I actually, this is something I do. I do this in, in tandem with the church and in tandem with, with the Lord. Um, but I think most people, when they think about reformed theology, they think of, they think of baptism. They think of um, the fact that we are, we are infant baptizers. So we're about as close to the, the Catholic faith as you can possibly get without being Catholics, which I think that's what a lot of people will think about us. Um, but you don't call this infant baptism. You call us covenantal baptism. So why why call this covenantal baptism? What what is 
what does baptism mean for the church, for families, for pastors, for, for all that? Yeah, so maybe just to back up and, and to think about Guy's book and then also David's, let, let me give one plug here yeah. that, you know, it's it's a book on expository preaching, but it's really for the person in the pew about how to mm. respond to expository preaching, how to appreciate okay. it. Mm. So it's really not for the preacher. Mm. It's for the person in the pew. Okay. Um, yeah. But but all of these, we're trying to bring home, and that's why it's the title of the series, uh, Blessings of the Faith. We're trying to bring home the blessing of each of these doctrines or each of these loci in theology. And so your question about covenantal baptism, uh, what I'm attempting to do in the book, and I, and I hope uh, by God's grace I did, was, was bring forward what is the true blessing of this sign and seal that he has given to his people uh, to press home the truths of his promises in the covenant. And so he is a keeping God and he has given us this visible, tangible uh, sign for people that are corporeal beings that want something like that, that we can touch and feel and even taste in the Lord's table, but in baptism, touch and feel and see and just the incredible blessing of that uh, to the church and to the covenant community. Yeah. And I think the topic of baptism is uh, usually the, one of the more uh, debated ones among our fellow uh, Christians that are outside the reformed faith and whatnot. Um, so how, how do you uh, kind of in simple, concise terms explain and defend how we as reformed uh, Presbyterians believe in covenantal baptism for both the infants as well as maybe an adult that's never been baptized either. Yep. Yeah. So I think, you know, in my church uh, where I serve in East Lansing, Michigan, uh, we have um, membership classes twice a year, every fall, every spring. uh, And I've been trying to, Followed this the last number of years, but it seems like to me, maybe if I was guessing, it's probably 65, 70% of people joining our church are coming from a Baptistic background, mm-hmm. a Credo Baptist background. Um, and when I'm leading them through these conversations and trying to approach this, uh, I think it's easiest uh, to understand it in looking at our hermeneutic of scripture first. And so looking at how, how is it that we approach scripture? Um, you, we can all proof text all day long about either credo baptism or pedo baptism and say, ah, show me here or show me there. Um, but, but the real question is, is how are we reading the scripture? And, and if we believe, which I do, that there is one covenant that is being unfolded from Genesis 3.15 to the very end of the scriptures, this promise of a savior that would come into the world. And we're seeing this promise unfolded in more detail as we go through the scriptures. And there is one people of God, and there is one God, and there is one salvation. Um, Then as you begin to see this continuity across the scriptures, and you see that children were always included as part of the covenant people of God. And then you move to the New Testament time, and uh, we have no repeal of that. Uh, in fact, we have all kinds of uh, corollary evidence that they are included among the people of God. And if there is one salvation, because there's one covenant, and there is one redeemer, and there is one God, and there is one people of God, 
then as they receive the sign in the Old Testament, they should receive the sign in the New Testament of that initiation into the covenant people of God. So I, I would want to start there and talk through the covenants and talk through covenant theology, and then we can get to the actual matter of baptism. Yeah, I, like what Nick was saying, too, and I think it's it's really important to note this. I think so often we have the quote-unquote baptism debate. It's between infant and believer's baptism, where as Presbyterians, we should also be baptizing those who are not infants, who are coming into the church outside of the faith, those who have not been grown up in the faith, who who hear about the gospel or cut to the heart, come to church hear this and then they're baptized as members of the visible church yeah listen we we all believe in believers baptism yep yep that's not the question yep that's yeah. not the question the, the real question and i think it's often the wrong question is asked so the real question is are children still part of the covenant community hmm. that's the real question you know and, and and my i was a credo baptist and so my argument would have was often, and, and what you often hear is, well, show me evidence that a child is receiving baptism. Again, hmm. it's it's the wrong proof is being looked for because a credo Baptist can't show proof of their view. Hmm. You can't show me a child that's grown up in a covenant home and then is only being baptized as an adult. And where it hit me when I was a credo Baptist was the burden of proof was actually on me to show that now these children are no longer included because yeah. we all believe in believers baptism, but now there's a radical change. Um, and the burden of proof was on me. And that was a, that was a game changer for me. So we all believe in believers baptism. Actually, uh, I'm glad. Yeah. I just had a question pop in my head. So uh, forgive me if it's not really answered too much in your book, but I was actually having a conversation with a fellow sister in Christ, but she's not reformed. And we were on the topic of baptism, and she was talking about her view of uh, adult believer baptism and, and more of a Baptist circle. And her big defense was, well, Jesus was baptized as an adult and not a baby. So how was a proper response to that? Yeah, I think, one, he, he is he's born into the the nation of Israel, right? And so he is, he received that sign of being part of the covenant mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. of God. He was circumcised, right? Mm -hmm. In accordance uh, with what was decreed. And so this was the sign. He received the sign of entrance into the covenant mm -hmm. community. Um, he, he's also receiving John's baptism, which is a unique baptism. Um, and so to correlate that with the baptism that we now practice, mm -hmm. they, they are two distinct baptisms. And so it, there's faulty ground there for multiple reasons to make the yeah. argument from, from that. Yeah. Yeah. And something, something actually you brought out earlier talking about expository preaching uh, and then also this, this is being used to cut us to the heart, using the word of God to cut us to the heart um, to repent or to believe or to be exhorted or whatever it may be. <clears throat> um, but for, for Dr. Strain, for, I think, a lot of when I think when Christians look at this, when they see expository preaching, they're going to assume this is written to preachers. I, I think naturally, like naturally assume this is written to preachers. But you, Jason, made a good point where, no, this is this is also teaching us. But I think we're, we're so often used to, no, we teach preachers how to preach, but we don't teach congregations how to receive preaching. So how 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 do you approach that topic? How, how do we teach congregation? How are we taught as a congregation, as members to receive preaching? Yeah. 
That's a great question. And Jason's right. The, the book on expository preaching, uh, in some ways the title is a little misleading because it's, it's not about preaching and how to do it, or even a theology of preaching. Mm. It's not, it, it was not written for preachers. Mm. It was not written mm. for preachers. It was written for my congregation who, like Jason's congregation, are often from Bible church or Baptist backgrounds and are drawn to the Reformed Church, often to the kind of preaching that they're hearing, but they're not really sure what it is about this that's compelling. They, they don't know what to think about it. It's different. Um, and they have all sorts of, all sorts of unanswered questions. Aren't I going to miss out on thematic uh, talks, practical application, uh, help me understand what's, why do you do what you do in the way that you do it mm -hmm. um, in a reformed church? And more than that, my concern as a pastor was to write something that I could put in the hands of, of anyone in my congregation, whether they'd been um, cradle Presbyterians from, we have one of our pastors actually is a fourth generation son of this church. Hmm. It's amazing. And now he serves on our pastoral staff. I, you know, to put to put a book in the hands of someone who's grown up in the church, generation upon generation, to, that will help them benefit from the preaching they regularly hear, or to put something in the hands of someone who's brand new to the church and say, "Here's how you can really get the most out of this." And and the, I have a chapter on this in the book where I try to unpack the larger catechism's wonderful answer on how to benefit from the preaching of the word. And, and the, the catechism essentially says there's things to do before you come to preaching, there's things to do as you listen to preaching, and then there's things to do after you've heard preaching. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it, you know, it's a little archaic in its language, but mm -hmm. I think that just makes it stimulating and, mm -hmm. and, and sort of fascinating. But if you read through it, it is extraordinarily practical, mm. saying things like, you know, get your affairs in order on Saturday night. You know, make a plan, get some rest, you know, look your Bible out, find the car keys. If you're, you know, I often say to families here, the hour before arriving at church is the least sanctified hour in the week. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. The conversation is, okay, he's ready to go. What do you mean you can't find your shoes? And you had the car keys last, honey. No, I didn't. You had had them last and by the time you get to church nobody's talking to each other and yeah. there's some repenting to do on the way home you know and, and you can't listen to the sermon you're not uh. you know god can break through for sure uh. and, and and arrest your attention but often a little bit of of preparation on saturday helps you come to church with a clear mind ready to benefit mm. uh, are you praying before you come are you praying as you listen are you are you interrogating your own attitude? Am I am I sitting in judgment on the preacher, or am I sitting in humility under the word? And if I'm under the word, what ought my attitude to be? So that and that's important, even and perhaps even especially in situations where people often feel that their preacher uh, isn't isn't nourishing them as they wished that mm. he, he would. Um, it's even more incumbent upon me 
in those situations uh, for the sake of the honor I owe to God and to his word to guard my heart and to try to squeeze what soul nourishment there is for me in the text. Um, and, and that's sometimes very challenging. And so you've got to come armed with that attitude or the devil has a field day with us. Mm. And then after you're, list, after you're done listening, the catechism talks about conferring together mm. on the word and, and remembering what was helpful and implementing it. Uh, uh, so you might say, take notes during to help you pay attention and then go back and look at your notes. And many of us take notes and we, we never look at the notes we've taken. Mm. What if instead... In your quiet time that week, you looked at one point each day or one section of one point each day back in your notes after you've done your regular reading and asked for the Lord to help you today implement or live out or express praise or pray in a manner that is reflective of the truth that God had taught you hmm. on the Lord's day. And what that does is it puts the preaching of the word where it belongs uh, at the center of your Christian life hmm. so that, that you live out of the ministry of the word and bear fruit in keeping with it. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think, yeah, what Nick said, I think your, your average person is going to look at this. It's like, oh, that's, I'll give that to my pastor or somebody else who's, who's learning how to preach. But yeah, like it's, it's really helpful knowing that it's both, yes, it's how do we preach, but also for a person walking into the service, how do we receive preaching? That's, yeah, that's incredibly Incredibly helpful and in, in, incredibly encouraging, I think, for me, who's listening to sermons right now, um, but preaching, but also I think a vast majority of our audience are not preaching. They're hearing sermons. You, you can find a thousand books on how to preach. Yeah. And, and, and you know, even, even some helpful ones on how to preach. Uh, but, but I think... Yeah, go ahead, Guy. I was just saying, I think that can be said about all three of the books, too. You can right. find a thousand books on prayer. You can find a thousand books on baptism. Uh, yep. You know, but I think the, the beauty of this series is that each one of the books is taking a, a fresh perspective mm. at a, a topic that has been written about, uh, you know, in, in abundance. And I think that's the unique thing about the Blessings of the Faith series. Yeah, no, that, that's think, incredibly unique. Yeah. And the other piece, and, and Nick, the, you know, the question you just asked that your friend asked you, in each of these books, what we've done at the end, the longest chapter in all of these books uh, is just question, short paragraph answers. So question, paragraph answer, question. So just the kind of regular questions people would ask. So how do you listen to an expository sermon? What, what are some of the ways to prepare for it? Question, short answer. What about Jesus' baptism? Question, short answer. What are effective ways to practice prayer in my private life? Question, short answer. So there's a whole chapter of just 30, 40 questions like mm. that. And yeah. I think people really benefit from just flipping to the back of the book. Yeah, I found that too. And David, uh, one thing I found is, um, especially in a modern American context a lot of feedback i've gotten from somebody that went to visit a reformed church is they're like they i ask them how how to go and they're like well that's that's different it was different than what i'm usually used to <laughs> and <laughs> and i think i so i guess um how would you explain the uh reformed what the what a reformed church what you should uh maybe expect 
and why we do some certain things um, on that Sunday morning. Um, and, and how is it different and why is it different than other churches? Hmm. That's a good question. And um, honestly, most of my experience of other churches is mediated through people who end up in my own. Mm-hmm. So, so that I want to be a little careful about what I say about other churches. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but, but as to why do we do what we do and what should you expect when you come to a reformed church? And I, I love my brothers to, to jump in and fill out this answer. Mm-hmm. But, but I think we would say one of the most distinct, perhaps the most distinctive guiding principles for a Sunday is that God decides what we do in his word mm. because God is first. We, we, like Jason said, God is sovereign. That shapes our attitude to prayer. It shapes our convictions on baptism. Why would you baptize a baby? Well, what a picture of the sovereignty of God mm. who saves the helpless, puts his name upon them and makes them his own. Why is preaching the center? Because God speaks in the preaching of his word. Mm. Um, why, when you come to a Reformed church, is there a call to worship from the Bible and then psalms and hymns that, that uh, take the truth of the scriptures mm-hmm. uh, and, and adore God with them? Why is it that we try to pray uh, sustained prayer using all the forms of biblical prayer saturated with the promises and language of scripture? Um, and why do we give attention to extended reading of Scripture in both the Old and in the New Testament, and then the careful verse-by-verse exposition and application of Scripture? Why does the, ser- the, the service end with God having the last word in a word of benediction and blessing? Well, because God gets to tell us how he wants us to worship him. We don't get to come to him and say, you know, I kind of like, I like this song. I like those instruments. I like this vibe, this aesthetic. And, and if I like it, of course God is going to like it. Mm-hmm. We're such narcissists culturally, <laughs> aren't we? we? We just assume if I like it, I mean, God likes me, what's not to like? And so mm-hmm. he must like what I like. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should not put ourselves as the arbiter of what is good for us and ask God what he thinks first. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what Reformed churches try to do. My brothers may have more to say there to kind of fill out the picture, no, that's, and that's may have more experience. You have more experience of the American church than I do. Yeah, no, and maybe if I can, if, if I can help nuance that, and not just the the preaching, but kind of the the service in general. Where, uh, yeah, I think people think of the Reformed Church again, broadly speaking, people who are not part of the Reformed Church. Again, both of us come from not Reformed churches as of two years ago, um, so it's kind of fresh in our minds, um, but. You don't, you think of the reformed church as kind of like the academic heady, you're going to get a lot of knowledge, a lot of doctrine, but I was not expecting, and this is, this is kind of more towards Dr. Richard, um, but also with the, with the preaching kind of in mind too, <clears throat> I was not expecting how much of a praying church the reformed church is it, like praying is it it's, it's all through the service. You like, you mm-hmm. almost like, it's almost like you learn how to pray in the, the, the reformed church too. And it's, it's something I think people expect walking into a service where there's so much prayer in the service. And yeah, how, how does, how does this kind of play out in our average, like day-to-day Christian lives? How does the, how does the service teach us how to pray too? 
Yeah, I I often think of our Reformed churches in a in a positive way, beautifully ordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I don't. If if maybe if you can if you can talk about that, Doctor Richard, on the Reformed Church as a praying church, both us yeah. as praying people, but also the church as a as a praying church. Yeah, I'm not sure which way you're trying to go with that exactly, but I think um, you know I think prayer is an overflow of faith uh, of of saving faith. There's a <clears throat> beautiful passage in Acts chapter nine where Paul. Uh, Saul comes to faith in Christ uh, at the, on the road to Damascus, if you will. He's knocked from his, his horse, if you will. He's, he's blinded, and he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting uh, me? And uh, goes to the house on State Street, uh, or State Street. Yeah, State <laughs> Street. Uh, David is on Almost State Street. never Street. been here. <laughs> I'm, I'm at the house on State Street. Straight Street. He was on Straight Street. And um, Ananias is sent to to heal uh, Saul of his blindness, and and Ananias is understandably afraid of this man who has been hauling Christians off to prison, putting them to death, and on and on and on. And and the Lord, as if to reassure Ananias, says something like this to to mark out how Saul has been changed. He says, "Behold, he is praying," mm-hmm. and that's the mark. Of, of the change that has happened in the life of Saul on the road to Damascus. He is no longer the same Saul. And the mark of that is that, behold, he's praying. And I think prayer really in that sense is just an overflow of saving faith of a heart that's been changed. It's a, it just flows out of us in that sense. It's, a, it's, it's like, you know, J.C. Ryle has said, others have said too, prayer is like breathing. It's like mm-hmm. spiritual breathing. If you want to check to see if an infant is alive, physically alive, you check to see if they're breathing, or if someone's physically alive, just you check to see if they're breathing. If you want to check to see if someone's spiritually alive, you check to see if they're praying. And so when you come into a Reformed church or any church and you see people committed to prayer, that's a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of what's going on in the life of that congregation. And when you walk into a church uh, and you don't see that same emphasis, that's obviously a, a, a different picture altogether. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was yeah, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Nick has seen the same thing, but it was, it was, it was really striking for me. I had never prayed as much in church or outside of the church than when I walked into a, a, a reformed church near us, um, where we had the pastoral prayer. We had the opening prayer. We had prayer after the sermon, before the sermon, before the Lord's supper, after I was just, I was not prepared. I, I, that's not what I expected walking into a service. Yeah. And oftentimes you'll find a lengthy prayer too, at least yeah. one lengthy yep. prayer. And I think today in many of our churches, you, you've got 30 second prayers, if that 15 mm-hmm. second prayers in, in our service. And so it's not just the number of times that you see a reformed mm-hmm. church pray, but there's usually one longer mm-hmm. prayer, mm-hmm. Uh, which again, what does it do? It models prayer for people in the congregation. It helps them to learn how to pray uh, by, by hearing it for themselves and, and no doubt by being moved, uh, by coming alongside and joining in the prayer of their pastor or whoever it is that's, that's hmm. leading the prayer. Yeah, I think, it's yeah. Worth saying, I think it's worth saying, too, that we're talking about the Reformed Church at its best, hmm. at the Reformed Church hmm. as it ought to be. Hmm. Um, let's, let's have the humility as Reformed men to acknowledge that very often the Reformed Church falls well short of these ideals and that 
you know, whereas pro, you can find reformed churches or at least ostensibly reformed churches that pray the 32nd, no doubt. Lord, we really just want to whatever type of prayers mm-hmm. and uh, all, all of that. And, and where the sermons are not expository preaching and where the thinking about the sacraments is woolly and vague and, and odd, you can find that for sure. Mm-hmm. So we, we do acknowledge that reality. And actually part of why these books, I think, can be helpful mm-hmm. is sort of to, to bring some simple, clear, crystal clarity to the basics of healthy mm-hmm. church life mm-hmm. for reformed mm-hmm. folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and you, you can see these books and say, okay, what's this is, yeah, this is the picture of what it looks like. What's not trying to compare churches against the books necessarily, but um, yeah, moving towards healthiness in the church. I, I like that. That's good. Yeah. And when you're at church and you hear the preaching of the word, that's God speaking to us through the word and then our prayers and the response speaking to him. I love that beautiful relational back and forth at church where God's speaking to us through the word. We respond through singing and praying. And if you're really lucky that day, you'll experience that. You'll see a baptism. Mm-hmm. So all three of these books you might see, but you'll, you'll always get the Lord, Lord's supper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that was but a wonderfully I, reformed way that you put that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Be careful. You can't critique the host, David. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but, but it, oh. it, it shows the, I mean, I think as people, as we begin to understand what is occurring in our corporate worship services, what's occurring in the church as we gather together, and then why it is that we do these things, it not only helps to keep, I think, to David's point, keep the Reformed Church where it should be, standing on these things biblically, my hope is as well is that as we learn these things that we come to appreciate it more when we're practicing these things, right? Mm-hmm. So that, oh my goodness, when we hear a prayer of invocation mm-hmm. and we hear a prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of intercession and a prayer of confession, when we hear these um, in the service, that it resonates mm-hmm. with us in a different way mm-hmm. because yeah. we've actually been taught to think along these mm-hmm. ways. And oh, the Christian faith just becomes more and more beautiful the more we understand um, these doctrines, I think. And I, and I think, too, in, in many of our churches, we, we also will use forms of prayer. So the scriptures give us forms of prayer. The Lord's prayer is a form of prayer. Jesus commands us when you pray, say. Not just pray like this, but when you pray, say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in both the Luke, Lucan version and in the, the Matthean version. And so I we... Have forms of prayer, and sometimes we'll use an historic prayer of confession from a reformed liturgy, um, from the the Book of Common Prayer, from some other source. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're not just modeling faithful, scripture saturated, free prayer, composed prayer from the person who's leading the service, mm-hmm. but you're also helping the congregation understand that when they pray. They are praying with the whole church across mm-hmm. the ages. And there's something extraordinarily powerful to the sense that you are praying the same prayer that the people of God have prayed, um, you know, year in and year out in crises, under persecution, mm-hmm. uh, in seasons of spiritual awakening, when the church was on hard times and when it was thriving and flourishing and you belong to that that community and that family and that, 
that lineage. That's a wonderful <clears throat> thing. And I think so many of our people don't hear prayers of pray, adoration, prayers mm -hmm. of, of, of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, uh, except when they're in a corporate setting, a, a gathering, a gathered worship uh, setting like that, where they're hearing, as Jason said, prayers of invocation, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, and on and on. And I think that is a very important thing to be setting before people, uh, our people in, in our churches, uh, is because the, I think the default setting is to go to the Lord with prayers of supplication. Uh, for our daily bread. And, and obviously the Lord's prayer makes plain that we are to pray for prayers of supplication. Uh, the Lord wants us to come uh, asking for our daily bread. Each day we're to go uh, asking for today's uh, what we need for that day. But I think so often if, if we're left to ourselves, that's the limit. That's the, the extent of, of our prayer. And we need to be challenged. And that constant reminder of, of adoration and confession and thanksgiving uh, then becomes part of our life uh, work and woof. Yeah. So, nice. so just to bring this home a little more, just to yeah. kind of press all these points home, you know, all three of these doctrines uh, are practices that that are commanded by God, right? Preach the word in season, out of season. Uh, pray without ceasing. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. Mm -hmm. um, they're all commanded, so we're to practice them. Uh, it's very easy, I think, for us to get into academic squabbles about, especially something like baptism, mm -hmm. and kind of leave it there and think that's what that doctrine is really there for, for us to argue about. <laughs> or, um, should you really ever preach a topical sermon series or where uh, should they be written or should they always be spontaneous? You know, these kind of things. Um, but I think part of what we're trying to press home in this, what you're hearing, I, I think, in this conversation yeah. is that, oh, no, once you begin in these things more fully, um, they resonate more and they bless you more. Mm -hmm. So when you begin to understand expository routine is as David is pointing out in the book, uh, here you have Christ the King that is speaking to you by word as we gather together in his presence among his people. Um, th there's a different understanding of preaching when you're listening to it in that kind of way. When you begin to understand all the different types of prayer, uh, as Guy points out, uh, it begins to enliven your prayer life. When you begin to understand that baptism is actually a means of grace. Mm -hmm. It's not just a cute moment in a service. What does mm -hmm. it, What are actually the blessings for the congregation, for the mm -hmm. parents, for the child? Um, when we begin to understand these doctrines more, they, they just, they come alive more. They become more of a blessing to our Christian faith. And, and I think mm -hmm. help to unite the church and nurture the church and going forward in honor of their savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had uh, this question teed up a little bit ago. Um, so I want to make sure I don't miss it. And it's, it's directed to guy, um, bridging this between, uh, in a, a worship setting, a church to private life. What's the difference between corporate versus private prayer? And why is it important to know those differences? Because it is, it, you don't want to only do corporate prayer and then neglect your private prayer life. And you don't want to also only do private prayer and and never hear a corporate prayer. Why, why are both those important? Yeah, I think they're important for a variety of reasons. Um, I think the tendency 
is to neglect one or the other. Yeah, I think either we emphasize individual prayer uh, as an overflow of our individual faith, uh, and we skip or we miss out on the blessings of corporate prayer, or maybe perhaps, and I, I haven't really seen this necessarily, emphasize corporate prayer. I don't think that's the problem of our day uh, to the exclusion of individual prayer. I think it's the other way around. I think there have been other uh, periods of time where maybe they've emphasized corporate prayer uh, to the exclusion of, uh, of individual prayer. But I think it's the other way around, uh, probably more today in our own day. We, we forget the benefits or we don't see the blessings of corporate prayer and we focus more on individual prayer together. But I think there's no doubt if prayer is a means of grace. And what I argue, one of the things I argue in my book that um, is that uh, looking at the analogy of marriage and mm -hmm. intimacy between a husband and a wife. And what I say is intimacy in a marriage is functions like glue. It bonds the heart of the husband and the wife together. And, and most of the couples that have come to me for marriage counseling over the years, especially when I was a pastor for 12 years in Mississippi, uh, almost all, in fact, I would say, I, as far as I can remember, all of them had not had any kind of intimacy together for a lengthy period of time before they came to my, and appeared in my office with, with the marriage troubles they were having. And I think uh, if you look at that the same way, prayer functions much the same way in our own lives, individually and corporately. It's, if you will, covenant glue. It knits our heart together further with the Lord's, if you will. And, and functions in that sense as a means of grace to, to grow us, to, to, to strengthen the relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I think when we gather together corporately and we pray together corporately, and, and I hear this brother pouring out his heart and, and, and sharing that kind of intimacy with the Lord, I'm joining in there and it's knitting my heart together with his and with the Lord. And so you have a, a double benefit, if you will, whereas when I pray individually, I'm growing in my relationship with the Lord. But when I pray with, with others, I'm growing in my relationship with them too. Mm. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I think a lot of people too, uh, they don't know where to begin. This is a gigantic topic, prayer in and of itself, you know, uh, how do we how do we know if we're praying correctly? How do we know if God is actually hearing us in our answers? How do we know if he answers prayers? And there's that big topic of there's unanswered prayers. How do we know that they're just a big no or a uh, not now, but later? Um, how do we approach that? Yeah, I argue in my book that there's no such thing as unanswered prayer, that God answers every prayer. He may not answer it the way we want it to be answered. He may not answer it the way we're intending when we pray it. But I suggest, based on Luke 11 and what Jesus is saying in Luke 11, that God uh, answers every, every prayer we make. He at least will give us. If you look at Luke 11 and compare what Jesus is saying in Luke 11 with what he says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, um, in regard to prayer, um, there seems to be this idea of, or yeah, uh, anyway, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus says something about um, if, uh, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts or give, give good things to you who ask him? That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. But in Luke 11, he says the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. And I think if you look at those two things together, it tells us that what Jesus, we have to take them together because one cannot contradict the other and one, and we interpret scripture by scripture. And so I think if we take them together, it tells us that what Jesus is saying is that when we ask in prayer, that God will always give us the Holy Spirit and the good things of the Holy Spirit so that we may ask for physical healing and God may or may not grant physical healing. But what I argue is that based on Luke 11, he will always grant spiritual healing mm. to us or to someone in the relation in, in the picture, someone who's, who's involved in, in the process, uh, whatever it may be, there's going to be a spiritual answer uh, to that prayer. And I think that for me, that's been a helpful way to address a very practical, very pastoral problem of unanswered prayer. Uh, just very quickly, I, I share a story in the book of a man who came to me who had lost his wife three years prior and told me how he had poured his heart out to the Lord, asking the Lord, beseeching the Lord, begging the Lord to spare the life of his wife, and his wife died. And he, he basically had given up on prayer altogether because God had not answered his prayer. And I said, I said, well, God did answer your prayer, but he didn't answer it the way you expected it. To, you wanted it to be answered. You asked for a fish. He didn't give you a fish. He, but he also didn't give you a scorpion, right? As Jesus says in Luke 11, he didn't give you a bad thing. He answered that prayer. That prayer wasn't wasted. All of the energy that went into those prayers didn't fall to the ground God answered them, but he answered them in a way that was different from what the man who was praying uh, uh, was looking for when he was praying. I have a, a pastoral colleague here at First President Jackson who likes to say that God will always give you what you would have asked for mm -hmm. if you knew everything Jesus knows now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. That's, I think that's true of, of all of all three <clears throat> of all three of these things um, that, that start off this series. The the preaching it's it's not what we expect, but it's it's the it's the best thing for our soul. Um, mm -hmm. Prayer being our communion with God, and then the baptism being kind of a visual representation of of our covenant with Him too. So um, yeah, as as we as we land as we land this plane, um, a it, just thanking you guys for for writing this for for Jason, for editing these, for the series. And I know, I, I know it's, it's continuing on, but anything that you wanted to end out kind of as an encouragement, knowing that this is a blessings of the faith. This is, this is meant to encourage Christians, not just to give them essentially more knowledge, but what would you say kind of within these topics is an encouraging, Hey, let's, let's think of this as this blessing for you in this specific way. So any, any like final calls up before we end this out? I do have one. I feel like, your listeners are not going to fully be able to appreciate everything uh, that guy has to offer. David, they get to hear his accent, Scottish accent. <laughs> but just for your listeners, yeah. guy has a strong bow tie game going he does. on right now. Yeah. Oh, They'll see it goodness. on video, actually. They'll eventually, oh, it will. Okay. Yeah. There's going to well, be a video. There will be a video. It extends oh. out past his ears. I mean, that's oh, a, man. That's a I mean, the bow tie is it's not that long. long. Is... It's not that long. This is good. This will be so, both audio and video. So they get the pleasure of the, the Scottish accent in the audio and then the pleasure. Oh, I thought we were just on audio. I would have dressed up for you. So, but yeah, <laughs> never mind. Better they get to appreciate both you, got, you have that going. Look at, look at me. 
What yeah. do you mean? I'm in a garage. I mean, He's in a garage. I'm in a t-shirt in our, in our living room. So, I, yes. think, I think I would take the Scottish accent over the bow tie. <laughs> I think most would. Especially the Glaswegian accent that David has. Well, it, it makes up for a lack of intelligence. I'll take it. Don't don't get me wrong. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. 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 Any any final yeah encouragements for Christians as, as they're thinking about these topics, as they're as they're I'm assuming they're interested in people, like, yeah, I want to I want to read these and, and be encouraged by these as I go to church week to week or live live my Christian life. So yeah, any final encouragements within some of these within some of these topics? I'll, I'll start off and I'll let these guys think a little bit uh, in terms of if they want to add anything. I think one thing that I would say that I try to bring out in the book is that I want people to realize and to remember to be reminded anew and afresh that prayer works, that God answers prayer. And, and that ought to be in and of itself, that ought to be enough to motivate us to pray and to give ourselves more and more to prayer. Because what James says, you have not because you ask not. Hmm. Uh, and I think we need, as God's people, to be reminded daily, we have not because we ask not. And so I think that would be the final word that I leave just in terms of an encouragement to motivate us as, as brothers and sisters to go before the Lord uh, with our prayers and our needs. Yeah, that's good. Uh, maybe about all three books. These are books about the ordinary means of grace, mm -hmm. the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just seeing over my, my left shoulder the works of David Clarkson. Clarkson has a sermon entitled Public Worship to be Preferred Before Private, in, in which he's commending the gathered assembly of the people of God around the means of grace. You can find it easily online. The sermon is everywhere on the internet. It is a magnificent and, and fun read. It's, it's classically Puritan with all these great mm -hmm. sort of Puritan word pictures. Clarkson says, um, God has a dish for each Christian severally, but when Christians are gathered together in public worship, the many dishes become a feast. Mm. Or there's a there's a, a stream that flows to each Christian severally throughout the week of his blessing, mm -hmm. reading the Bible on their own praying. But when those streams come together on the Lord's day, they make a river that makes glad the city of our God. That, in other words, just as we were saying earlier, the church, the means of grace, that's where God has ordained to, to come and meet you mm -hmm. in the preaching of his word, in the in the seeing and hearing and touching and handling and tasting of the sacraments, his word made visible in the prayers of the saints that guys so beautifully portrayed. You're listening to that, that brother or that sister with their lisping, stammering tongues pouring out their heart and your heart is lifted up and enlarged and moved to pray and you leave strengthened. And when you individualize your Christian life, you undermine your own spiritual health. Hmm. These three books, if they would do anything, I pray that they would make us love the church because in loving the bride of Christ, we learn to love Christ's bride, uh, the, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I would just add in closing generally, follow up good words that Guy and David have already said. I, I would just encourage your listeners maybe 
doesn't need to be said because they're already listening to something like this, but uh, just be readers. Mm. Um, always encouraging my congregation. Oh, just read. Um, and I understand the making of books. There is no end as Solomon <laughs> said, uh, but we want to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so there are so many good books um, that you could be reading. And as we read these things, it helps us understand the scriptures better, which helps us understand our God better, which helps us understand how to minister to people better and to live for Christ better. Um, and so just want to encourage them to keep reading. Um, and Guy and David's book are worth your picking up and mm -hmm. reading. They are good good primers on these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very helpful. It's a great, yeah, it's a great, yeah. Both, uh, I think both for the, those who've been in the reformed faith for a long time, just to refresh and understand why we do this. Um, and, and the language, but also we, we told some other people too, it's uh, those who are outside the reformed faith. Um, those who are at, at kind of non-denominational church or whatever it may be to learn a little bit more about the reformed church from, from a, an easy to understand perspective. But I, I also think too, <clears throat> to give language to those who may not know, like who may know kind of the, the high and, and lofty terms and know all the turns of arguments and all that stuff and are on Facebook and wh whatever they may be, may be on, but on a ground level, how do we talk about this to others, but also primarily for, for us, how do we, how do we do this stuff and how do we understand these things and what is God giving us in the service and prayer in baptism. So yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for writing these books for, uh, for Jason, for editing these. I, I know more to come. So uh, we're super excited. I'm sure those who are listening are excited, um, but it's, it's been a blessing talking to you guys and, and learning more about preaching and, and baptism and prayer. I, I'm not sure there's, there's three other things that you want to learn more about. I'm sure we can go on forever on this, but um, yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about your books. Thank you, Peter, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, brothers. Are you looking for a reformed church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's Welcome to Reformed Church beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at santaanareformed at gmail.com or head to either Guilt Grace Pod or Santa Ana URC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world and how to best do that is rate and review us on itunes yeah and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all in once retweeting us on twitter liking us on twitter liking us on instagram following us on both of those platforms because that actually puts in front of people's physical face this podcast these guests and most importantly the gospel the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing. And uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy 
as again we bridge the gap to reform christian <laughs> theology exactly the yeah and you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this or three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys next time.